Turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. If this is your first time with us here at Bayou City Fellowship, we've been making our way through 1 John this fall. We actually will finish next week. 1 John chapter 5. It says in verse 11, And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This past week, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, spending some time with some other pastors, and, um, and four of us wanted to do a little catch-up. We had a little break, and and so we went to this restaurant right outside our hotel. It had a big outdoor seating area. It was like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So the restaurant was almost empty. And, uh, we ordered some things. And, and so we're just sitting around having a good time, catching up, telling stories. And, and all of a sudden, this, this guy comes over and he stands really close, kind of real close to the table. And he, and he stands there and he starts introducing himself to us, and, uh, which is kind of odd. And, and he says, I, I heard you laughing over here and I heard that you were pastors. Now, we said, how did you hear that we were pastors? You know, obviously that's not something we just go around telling everybody. You know, I'd like a Dr. Pepper and I'm a pastor. That doesn't, that doesn't open a, a lot of doors for you. The only thing it opens is, a, is an open invitation for people to leave the conversation. That's what happens when you reveal that you're a pastor. And so he comes over and he's like, I never, I, I just wanted to meet you because you seem like you're having a really good time. And the waiter said that you were pastors. And, uh, and so I wanted to come and meet you. And so we go around and, and I say, I'm Curtis and I'm from Houston, Texas. We all go around all four of us. And, and he goes, you mind if I ask you a question? I'm like, sure, go for it. He says, do you think that it's wrong that I'm gay? So we just sat there in silence for a second because we were just enjoying our meal and <laughs> I'm not ready for that. We were also sitting there for a minute because we have a clear understanding, or at least I do, of what I think the Bible says about that issue. I just think it's so plain. But also that answer needs to be wrapped in compassion and gentleness. Because I remember scriptures just like you, where the Apostle Paul says that, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then he says this, among whom I am chief, meaning Paul, when he looked out of all the depravity and all the sin in the world and all the sinners, he said, I'm the lead sinner. And so that verse is in my heart and that verse is in the heart of all these other guys that I'm sitting at the table with. So we don't want to just come with a strong arm answer. And so we sit in silence and one of the guys had just the brilliance to say, well, what do you think? <laughs> and he said, sometimes I think it's good and and, and sometimes I think it's wrong. And so he starts unpacking his story for us. It probably stands there for about 30 minutes. And long story short, he grew up in a religious home with a very faithful and devout mother. But in her faithfulness, one day she saw someone in their community. She had a, just a brief um, you know, relationship with. She just knew who this person was and he was homeless at the moment. And so she invited him to come and stay at their house for the night. And that night while she was sleeping in her bed, he was down there, this visitor abusing this man, this young man. And he wants to know what we think. And what he's really asking 
is will you speak on behalf of God right now? And you've been in that moment. You've been in that moment at work. You've been in that moment with a neighbor. You've been in that moment in your family. You've been in that moment over email where somebody is asking you to speak on behalf of God. What does God think about this? What does God feel about me? What does God have to say on the issue? And they're looking to you and they want a response. Now, maybe you feel qualified to give responses when people ask you to speak on behalf of God. But I don't. With all the training that I've had, with the numerous times that I've opened up the word of God, I still do not feel adequate in that moment. To say, this is what God thinks, and here's what you need to know. Thankfully, 1 John is going to give us a first step in that. It's not going to equip you with probably everything that you need to know in whatever specific conversation you are in, but it's going to tell you a first step when people look to you to be God's spokesman. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. It says, And this is the testimony. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Now that word testimony, um, he's been referring to that in the verses earlier. We're skipping over it today uh, because it's easy to get lost in there. But, but earlier, in the few verses that come before the section that we're reading today, John's been talking about the testimony that God has given about Jesus, His Son, on His own. And he, he talks about the testimony of the water and the blood, meaning Jesus' baptism, where He's anointed by the Spirit of God, was a testimony to the world that Jesus has been anointed, that He is the Christ, and then His blood is the testimony of the cross, of the sacrificial death of Jesus. And he said, these two things, these speak for God. This is the testimony. This is how we know we should believe in Jesus because God has anointed him with the Holy Spirit and because of his sacrificial death on the cross. And so he's been talking about this testimony. Testimony means what you think it means. It means to be a witness. It means evidence. It means uh, to put on record. Those are all courtroom words. A couple of months ago, I was uh, uh, in court to support a family in our church and, and uh, to, to, to be there to, to speak for them and support them. And uh, they, they needed some witnesses. They needed some character witnesses. And so they kind of looked at the, the massive crowd from our church that had come to support them. And they looked to the pastor and they were like, will you be a witness for us? And I'm like, absolutely. I'm so pumped. I've seen all the TV shows. I know how this all works. <laughs> And so they, they, they go, I go up with all the other people who are going to be witnesses and we stand before the judge and they make you raise your right hand and you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And I swear, swore, and then they had us leave the courtroom. We didn't even get to see the good stuff. You had to go and sit out in the hallway so you wouldn't be influenced by the other testimonies. And when I got out there, I mean, it was so awesome. And then it was like, uh-oh. Uh, I didn't, wasn't prepared for this, and this is like serious business, and uh, uh, what, what am I going to say? And I'm trying to think through all the things that I might say, but then you really don't know what to say because they got to ask you the questions first. You know, they don't, they don't just get you up there, and then you're like, you know, well, tell us your opinion about things, and then they let you talk for five minutes to ask you specific questions. So I felt unprepared, and there was no way for me to prepare, and so it was kind of terrifying, right? But the thing that you need as a witness is you need first-hand experience. Because in the courtroom, when you start telling about somebody else's experience or telling about something someone else did that you heard about, then the other lawyer, what do they say? Hearsay. They object. Only first-hand experiences 
are allowed to be authentic testimonies. Which is how John opens up his letter here. You remember what he says in chapter 1, verse 1? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So this is what he starts with as he writes this letter. His first hand experience. It's what a good testimony is. It's what a good witness is. When you speak on behalf of God, you want to speak out of what you have experienced. Not what you read in a book. Not what you found in an email chain that got passed on to you. But what you have experienced. This is your testimony. It's your testimony. Your first hand account and experience. And what does he say it is? He gives us the two things. And this is the testimony, colon, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. You know, eternal life is essential to our faith, and and yet it's something that we don't talk about all that often. In fact, it's not really in style right now as a pastor or a minister to talk about eternal life. We're supposed to talk about things that are more motivational to you, which is like how your life can be affected right now, how your life can be strengthened, how your life can be better, uh, how you can be a better dad and better mom. And all those things are good. And hopefully we talk about all those things in the context of our preaching. But eternal life is essential to faith. But no one is thinking about it. This week in the airport, I was riding up one of those very, very tall escalators, and there were two men behind me having a conversation about the life expectancy of their individual families. And one of the guy's families was dying young, and he was real nervous about it. But the other guy, he was feeling very confident because he said, uh, all my family lives into their 90s, like late 90s, like every single one of them. He starts listening off granddad, grandma. They're, they're all, they're living up into their 90s. And you can just feel the, the, the confidence in this guy's Uh, life that he was going to live into his 90s. And I wanted to turn around and say, listen, let's just have a real real reality check as we ride up this escalator. Uh, We've just checked in our bags and now we're on the way to the the airplane. Let me rephrase what an airplane is to you. It it is a giant metal and plastic tube. (laughs) And you're going to get in it and you're going to put a tiny little cloth over your waist. That's it. Just a tiny little piece of cloth over your waist, and then they're going to make that metal and plastic tube move really, really, really fast. And, but you're, you're thinking, well, it's got wings. Those wings are held on by like eight bolts, just eight. So there are 16 things making sure that this giant metal tube stays in the air, and it's not like they're just hovering over the ground. No, we're going way up, way up so that that piece of cloth is not going to be effective in any kind of dangerous situation. So let's not get too confident about our life expectancy. But that's what we do, right? You had a successful day yesterday, meaning you woke up and then you went to sleep and you made it into this morning and you just put one day after another. And so we don't have any reason to think about eternal life. But it is essential to our faith. It's essential to our faith. I mean, the heart of the gospel what does John 3.16 say? For God, your salvation started in the heart of God. So love 
The gospel is a gospel of love. It's not about God taking his creation and moving them around in the right order. You are not just a cog in his sovereign will for God so loved the world. That's everybody. That whosoever would believe in him. That's faith. That's you looking at all of your eternal options. And saying, I believe in this option. Whosoever believes in him, that's Jesus, would not perish. Meaning, this is life and death. And it's not just physical life and death. This is spiritual life and death. This is eternal life. And this is eternal death. This is a serious issue. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have what? Everlasting life. This is the end of the gospel that you and I would have eternal life. So it doesn't make sense for us to believe in the gospel, but then ignore the fruit of the gospel. To ignore what's going to happen after we believe in it. Eternal life is good news and it matters. The problem for most of us is eternal sounds like a really, really long time. And a long time sounds really boring. I remember when I was a kid, we'd talk about heaven and and my pastor would always paint that picture that we see in Revelation where there's just everybody around the throne and we're all singing and it's this amazing thing and and, and he's like, this is what heaven's going to be about. And, and we had hymnals back in the day. We don't do that. You remember the hymnals? They had about 100 songs in it and a little blue hymnal that we had at our church. And, and so I'm thinking about the hymnal there. And there's 100 songs. And I'm thinking about eternal life. And uh, we're going to sing the whole time. And I'm thinking there's only 100 songs. And if we're singing all day, I'm pretty sure we're going to get through those real fast. And then... We're going to have to sing all these songs over again, day after day after day. Say, same hundred songs we'll be singing. And honestly, that didn't sound that appealing to me. That's why most of us don't give a lot of thought to eternal life, because we don't feel like our life is going to end anytime soon, but also because it just doesn't sound that interesting. It sounds necessary, but not interesting. But listen, life after death is going to be more exciting for you than life before death. I know that sounds morbid, but let's just pretend today that you died today. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I hope not. Genuinely, we hope not. We hope you make it. I got plans, you know, tomorrow. So, but let's just pretend that you do. Today is your last day. Here's a little snapshot of of what's going to happen to you. As soon as you die, you are with Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8 says that when you are absent from your body, then you are present with the Lord. You will be with Jesus in paradise. Remember what he says to the thief on the cross? One of the the criminals is giving Jesus a hard time, condemning him, joining in with the religious leaders there, mocking Jesus. And the other one is like, shut up. You don't understand who this man is. We are guilty. He is innocent. And he, and he turns to Jesus with some of his last breaths. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today. Today you will be with me. With me in paradise. So when you die, you will be with the Lord. And it will be an amazing place. And whenever God 
starts the countdown to the end of days. And a couple of these things are going to happen in some different order depending on how you read the scripture. But the Christians, those who are alive, are going to be caught up with Jesus, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. And then the earth is going to feel the wrath of God. Revelation, check this out, chapter 6 through chapter 16. So you've got 10 chapters in the middle of the book of Revelation that talk about the wrath of God that the earth is going to feel because of the curse of sin. Then Jesus is going to return with the shout of the archangel and a trumpet blast, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16. Then the dead, those of us who have already died, those of us who died today, our spirit went to be with Christ in heaven immediately. But they put your body in the ground. They put a stone there to remember it. But when Jesus descends, then all those bodies are going to ascend up to him and they're going to be transformed. They're going to be glorified and your spirit is going to be reunited with your resurrected body according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Then there will be a judgment, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, where we're going to have to stand and give an account for our lives. Then Satan is going to be defeated. He's going to be thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. Then God's going to recreate the earth, Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 7, without the curse of sin. Then this holy city, this new Jerusalem is going to drop down right out of heaven and land on this new earth, Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 21. And then forever you are going to reign with Christ, not sit with Christ, not sing with Christ. You are going to reign with Christ Second Timothy says, and reigning with Christ means that you are going to be handed responsibility in eternal life. Where you will see the victory of Christ worked out every single day in your responsibility. Eternal life is anything but boring. We won't know excitement until we hear the blast of the trumpet. We won't know the beating of our heart until we hear the archangel shout and the heavens split open and Jesus return. Eternal life is essential to our faith and it is your testimony to the world. Anybody can be a good dad. Anybody can be a good employee. Anybody can learn to be a good husband, but only followers of Jesus can have eternal life. And so as we look out into the world, why give them what they can get on their own? Let's hand them what only they can get from Christ. This is your testimony, eternal life. And then what's the second thing he says? And this life is in his son. Now Jesus illustrated this idea that John is talking about back in John's gospel. Turn there quickly. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus said these words, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But this is my father, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So Jesus is talking about life. And, and he uses an illustration about the vine, that God the Father is the vine dresser, meaning he's the owner of the vineyard, and he was responsible for everything in that vineyard. And Jesus says that he is the vine. I don't know if you've been to a vineyard lately, but the vine uh, stretches out a long ways and it's thick and it has these knots on it and it's very uh, it's, it's very thick and it's essential and out of the vine comes these small little branches and from the branches hang the fruit and Jesus is using this to illustrate what it means to have life in him and look what he says in verse 1 I am the true vine which means that there are false vines out there Even in Jesus' context, there were a lot of false vines. There was the false vine, the false life of religion. You've got these Pharisees just replicating their religion. They think if they follow all the rules, then they will get life from following the rules. And Jesus says it's not about following the rules. It's about following God. And you follow God by following me. They had uh, false vines of believing in the Roman government. The Sanhedrin, the rulers of Israel... They didn't like that Rome was there, but they made a deal. And they just figured if they could have power, then it was okay that Rome was in charge. And Rome would provide for them. And Rome would protect them, both as a country and individually. You have people believing in the false vine of, of money. You have the tax collectors who had turned their back on their national identity and said, we'll just trust in money. We'll make money and we'll take advantage of people. You had... The false vine of family. Family is a good thing, but in their culture, they, they just believed that they were worth as much as their family was worth. So that their father had a good name, then they had a good name. If their children had a good name, then they had a good name. All good things, but false vines. I mean, we can add to that list. The false vine, the false life of being appreciated. If you can just be recognized... And you're going to have that life that you're lacking, that everything will turn around for you. The false vine of accomplishment, that if you can accomplish, maybe your kids can accomplish, and you'll have that life that you're looking for, things will change for you. Maybe work is a false vine for you. You think, man, without my job, we wouldn't have anything that we have. Everything that we do have is connected to me showing up at 8 and going home at 5. The job is a good thing, but it's a false vine. You know, thinking about food and, and grapes, I immediately think about the best thing that I've ever tasted. I want you to turn to somebody and, and just tell them real quick what the best thing you've ever tasted is. Yeah, good. Good. There we go. There we go. All right, I'm going to tell you the right answer. There's only one. And the great thing is, is it's only about literally 30 seconds from here. 
because you, you pull out of the driveway here and just hook a left on Telgi. Uh, there's a little gas station there, and inside the gas station there's a McDonald's. Now, I know a bunch of you are vegans, and so you've never been to McDonald's, but let me tell you what's on the menu there. It's tucked away. Um, you've never seen it. It's a little thing called cinnamon melts. Now, if you've never had the great joy of having cinnamon melts, let me just break it down for you. You get this little container. It's about this big. I know from experience. And you open up the container, and in it are uh, six pieces of of roll, like dough, cooked dough, and uh, seven if you get lucky. If you're favored by God, they'll sneak that seven one in there. And then they take everything great about the cinnamon roll. You know, the dough and the roll is just a vehicle for what goes on top of it. And so they take everything that's delicious about the cinnamon roll and they like turn it into like liquid form. They mix it all together and and then they take that liquid form and they just pour it right on top. And so you've got all this goodness going down on it. And and listen, some of you, I'm feeling this prophetically, are going to get in your car and you're going to (laughs) stop on the way home. Tell them I sent you. They know me by name. And, And so here's how you eat them if you get the cinnamon melts. You start with the, the tiny roll that has the least icing on it so that you can work your way up into the one that has the most. When you get to that last one, you're going to put it in your mouth and then a wave of grief is going to come over you <laughs> because now they're gone. But here's what I'm telling you as an insider. The best part is still left because what has happened is when the liquid got poured on top of the roll, it just kind of pooled up there down in the bottom of the container. And then you take your spork and then you just, (laughs) it's the best part. It's delicious. In fact, it's so delicious. If you are having a bad week or a bad day, just you got permission to go and get one. The last time I had cinnamon melts was four or five months ago on the day that my dog died. That's how amazing these are. They comfort you in your grief. That's how good they are. But don't do this. Don't go home and uh, get on the internet and look up how many calories are in the cinnamon melt. Because you don't want to know. If you get cinnamon melts today, don't eat anything else the rest of the day and you'll be fine. But if you did get on there and looked up the nutritional value, there'd be a little asterisk down at the bottom somewhere, and it would say, not a significant source of nutritional value. It's just not helpful in any way. It's delicious, yes, but it's, it's not helpful. And these are false vines. This is false vines. This is false life. It's immediately satisfying, but over time, it's dangerous. It's immediately comforting. But day after day after day after day, it's eventually dangerous. So some of us are plugged into some false vines right now and we feel satisfied and we feel full and they make us happy and they give us everything that we need and all that is true. It is immediately satisfying, but take the long-term view because we don't just have this one life, we have eternal life and over time, what is immediately satisfying will eventually be dangerous. And so Jesus says, abide in me, the true vine. And he says in verse four, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches and he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. 
for without me, you can do nothing. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, in the Son, you have life. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. If you have your life plugged into the vine, then you're going to bear fruit. And if you don't have your life plugged into the vine, then you're not going to bear any fruit. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And some of us may be like, well, that's not true. I can do a lot of some things, whether I have Jesus or not. And listen, that's true. But what you need to know is all of your something is really nothing. All of your something and all of my something apart from Christ is really nothing. It's like this story that Jesus told the parable about the man who had a lot of crops and he had just one barn and he said, I I got all these crops, but I don't have a place to put them. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barn. I'm going to build a bunch of bigger barns and then I can put all my crops in there and then I'm just going to live, eat, drink and be merry. And and Jesus says at the end of the parable, you fool, because God's going to demand your life tonight. Meaning all of his something was nothing. And you don't want to get into judgment day where you and I are going to have to give an account for our life and have lived a life with, filled with a lot of something, but be in that moment with a lot of nothing because our life was not plugged in, attached to the vine. And he says this in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. This is your testimony that you have eternal life, and that life is in the Son. When you're plugged into the Son, when you are attached to the vine, then you are going to bear fruit. And this is how God gets glory. What fruit is he talking about? Well, there's lots of different kinds of fruit. You can go straight to Galatians 5 and talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, good, gentleness, self-control. There's holiness is a fruit. Righteousness is a fruit. Power is a fruit. When you pray, God answers that prayer. That's fruit. It's coming off of your life. Lots of different f- fruit. And your fruit that comes off of your life because you abide in Christ becomes your testimony to the world. I did a little research on grapes because, uh, you know, Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches and, and what I uh, discovered uh, was, was kind of interesting. Inside of a grape is seeds. I don't know if you've ever noticed them, but there are. Uh, if you cut it open, there's some seeds in there and these seeds have a lot of benefits. Uh, one of the benefits is uh, it helps your cardiovascular system. Uh, it also, and I'm not making this up, I read this on the internet last night, it actually will regrow your hair. So if, if I come back in a couple of months with a full head of hair, grapeseed, grapeseed extract. So uh, I'm going to eat that because uh, I could use some more hair. But here's the other thing that these little grapeseeds do. You can actually plant new grape vines with it see when you bear fruit as you are plugged into the life of Jesus Christ inside every piece of fruit is an opportunity for the gospel to spread that goodness that you live your life with inside of that goodness is an opportunity for someone to be affected by the gospel of Jesus This is your testimony. Who knows what question you'll be asked this week? Who knows what what sentence will come across your email 
where somebody will look to you as a person who goes to church. Say, what does God think about this? Who knows what you'll say? Maybe you're an expert in that. If you're like me, you're probably not. But here's what you can say. I don't know the answer to your question, but here's what I do know, that I have confidence that I have eternal life. And that life comes from Jesus, and that's firsthand experience. I'm not just telling you something that I read. I'm not just telling you something that my pastor told me at church. I can speak with firsthand authority that I have eternal life. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not a great mom. I'm not even a great employee, but I have eternal life, and that life comes from Jesus. Let's start there. And I want you to know that your testimony matters. My grandfather grew up in a religious home, but by the time he was in his early 20s and married my grandmother, he had kind of walked away from that. And he was a good man, but it bothered him that my grandma would go to church. So every once in a while, when he was feeling especially ornery, he would get out into her car when she was getting ready, and he'd mess around with the motor so that when she started it, it wouldn't start, and she'd have to stay home. Good man, not a Christian. My grandma was always praying for him. My great-grandma was always praying for him. One day, this guy from work that he knew cared about him enough to show up at his house, real awkward-like, knock on the door. Hey, Charles, can I come in? I've got something I want to talk to you about. And so they went and sat in, in a living room that I've been in a million times in my life with probably the same furniture that's in there today. And this man, just this coworker, in his early 20s, shared his testimony with my grandfather, who was in his late 20s. And through that and all that prayer, my grandfather believed in Jesus. If you fast forward about 20 more years, my mom, his daughter, married my dad, who did not grow up in a religious home, who was not a Christian. One day, my dad is out in front of their house working on an engine because that's what my dad likes to do. And he had this neighbor who was in Bible college. You can't trust the guys who go to Bible college. I say that with authority. But they lived in these tiny homes right next to each other. And this Bible college guy went out and asked if my dad needed any help. And the answer was, no, I do not need any help. But this guy just stuck around anyway. And they started just having a conversation and in the front yard of my mom and dad's tiny first home this kid got his courage up and shared his testimony his story of eternal life in Christ with my dad and those two who are unnamed men to me change the trajectory of my life. I believe I can say with honest integrity that I would not be here today in this room, on this stage, without the two simple testimonies of these two strangers. Your testimony matters to somebody who maybe is not even born yet. That courage that it takes to open up your mouth and be a spokesman for God.
will totally revolutionize somebody else's experience in this life and hello in the life to come the one that counts so when God sets an opportunity in front of you this week to speak for him don't go as an expert don't go as someone who's trained go as somebody who has firsthand experience that you have eternal life and that life is in the sun let's pray God, we give you honor. And we pray that you would stir us up this morning. Stir in us that confidence. Stir in us that boldness. To be a testimony of your life, your plan, your grace. pray right now you would just remind us of our testimonies God remind us of the story of our eternal life in Jesus name we pray